Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning and this time that we've been able to um, worship together with your church and encourage one another, Lord. Um, I pray for Evan as he is preaching this morning, Lord, that you would just fill him with your abundance, Lord. I pray that your wisdom would be flowing out of him um, into our hearts, God. I pray that you would change us that we would walk out here uh, different people than when we walked in, Lord. So um, yours is the glory. It always is. God, we love you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning, Grace Hill. My name is Evan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, I'm going to take a second and make sure the mic gets EQ'd all right for Angus. He works so hard. Guys, um, Mel made a comment about the family meals, and I just just wanted to reiterate one thing. One of the things that we pray for as a staff, one of the things that I know Alan and I get the chance to talk to through all the time is, is about you guys and what God wants for all of us. And one of the questions that we've asked over and over again is, is what would it look like if, if this body of people that follow Jesus would encourage each other in their faith? And so to that end, one of the prayers has been, how can we be an encouraging Church, And as Mel said, just even sharing about the past several family meals, what has been abundantly clear is seeing that God is building in this church and encouraging people. That is not something Mel can do. That's not something Alan can do. We can try to set up all those things. That is a work of the Spirit and a choice that you guys make. And it has been a privilege to watch that growing so I'm just so thankful. It's one of the things, as Mel even just said, we're, we're so thankful for what God is doing. And I hope that it's not just something that we see, but that more importantly, that we are experiencing together as God's people. So anyway, I just wanted to reiterate that. Um, so Mel, thank you. I also just wanted to share, just Mel's leadership has just been such a gift to the church. I was sitting in the back as I was trying to pray through the sermon again and as she's just talking about just even being able to thank God for hearing your voices, I love that she's helping teach us why that is so vital for us every week. That when we come in here, that we're not singing songs, we're not doing that. We are actually coming before the throne of grace together. And whatever we're going through, good or bad or somewhere in between, we are singing truth not just to God but to each other. And that comes back to being an encouraging church and encouraging people, people with the fruits of the Spirit. So... Uh, Grace Hill, we're just really, really proud of you, really proud of what God is doing in our midst. So I hope that's something that you would give thanks for. Turn to your Bible. If you have it with you, we're going to be in the book of James again. Uh, it'll be in James chapter 1, verse 5. So go ahead and turn there. Each time I get a chance to preach, uh, I'm going to be walking through verse by verse the book of James. And so uh, if you are familiar with this book, then you uh, will know that this is a very practical book. And last time I got a chance to preach, we went through the first four verses together. And what I wanted to say about James is if you had to sum it up in, 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 in two words, and I said it last time, is you'd sum it up like this. It's dirty theology. And what I mean by that is it's all about practical faith. What is our faith supposed to look like? And I likened our faith to like a pair of shoes. Faith is like a pair of shoes. That's what James is getting at. It is meant to be lived in and worn out into the world. And what that means is, is our shoes, our faith is going to get a little dirty. It's going to get scuffed up sometimes. 
But oftentimes, I know this is true of me, I don't want that to happen. I don't, I don't like to have a theology that, that is, um, just gets messy. I'd rather, like I said before, is like keep my shoes in the closet where they're nice and neat and they don't get scuffed up. And, and when we do that, if, if our shoes are like our faith, then essentially what we're saying is I'm going to leave my faith away from the hard and messy things because I don't want my faith to get beat up. I don't want my faith to get scuffed up. Maybe my faith is a little fragile and I want to protect it from things like suffering and brokenness physically, mentally, spiritually. I think we can look around, each of us in this room, I I bet my guess would be that you might be able to name someone, whether you know or you know of someone, who has grown up in the church even, and then they've and walked away from their faith. The past several years, we've heard terms like deconstruction. And I think in simple terms, what is happening in these situations, again, in simple terms, is someone has come up against something that's hard or difficult or complex with their faith, and they haven't had a category of God or theology to Go through that. Their, their theology wasn't willing or able to get dirty. And so they've made a decision to now distrust God, distrust his word, turn away from it, and look towards something else. And see, look, we can try to explain away all the hard things that we want. And James is just going to come in, and he is going to give us just clarity over and over again. And he's going to say, listen, I'm going to look the hard things in the face, and I'm going to tell you, this is how we're supposed to live. Because what happens for us, and even those, our friends, our family that have walked away from our faith, us too, we meet, reach pivotal moments in our life where we come up against something and we have to make the, we have to answer this question. God, are you trustworthy? Is your word trustworthy? And it makes sense that There's times for us that we don't want to get our faith dirty. But our faith, James will keep pointing out, is meant to be lived in like our shoes. So we can't avoid the challenges that life in this world brings. We just can't. And Alan even has been preaching over and over again. And last week, if you were with us in our forum series, Alan talked about we live in a Genesis 3 world where you and I are battered by sin. We're complicit in it too. We sin against each other. We sin against ourselves and against God. And You see, the way we have had our faith formed is going to have a lot to do with how we answer the question, is God trustworthy? If we believe that our faith or our theology, our belief about God can't get dirty, then the realities of life the things in our own lives, the messiness and brokenness of our own life, of our faith, if our category for God can't handle those things, well, then we're going to look for something else or someone else to put our faith into. We just are. That happens all the time. But if our faith, if our theology, which I think James is going to press over and over again for us, especially today, if it can get dirty with the reality of the world we live in, if it can get dirty with the messiness and the brokenness in our own lives, then I think over and over again what we will find in the scriptures is we're going to find that the God of the Bible is deeply involved in our lives. 
that he's deeply invested in you and in me and what's going on, that he is working in and through our stories to grow our trust in him. And over and over again, what we will find in the scriptures and in the experience of living our faith, putting our shoes on and walking out in the world is we are gonna find over and over again that God proves himself to be trustworthy. What is the question that you ask yourselves in the midst of hard times? I just want you to sit with that as we go through our time together this morning. What is the question, the first thing that comes to your mind when you're in the midst of something difficult, something hard, whatever that is? What's the first question? That's what today's text is going to be centered on. We work through the first four verses of James, and James is going to show us, he just gets right after it. He says, consider it joy, count it joy, when you meet trials of various kinds, suffering. And he says that God wants to use that suffering to produce steadfastness, to produce trust in him. That is the purpose, James is saying, right off the bat to you and to me, that God intends for the suffering and the trials in our life to produce something that only he can provide for us. And so we're going to pick up from where we left off there in verse 4, and we're going to start in verse 5. And this is the whole point of the sermon. That we will see that trusting God means that we ask God for his wisdom. That's what we're going to see today. Trusting God means that we ask God for his wisdom. Verse 5, you can read along with me. It'll be on the screen behind me. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways." Trusting God means asking God for his wisdom. Father, I do just ask very simply, as I've just spent time in your word this week and in these specific verses, God, that God, that you would help me, that you would help each of us here, those that are listening online. Lord, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to consider James' words and not just listen to them, but, Father, really wrestle with them and let them go down into the deep inward parts of our soul? Because, Father, you are speaking to us in the reality that all of us experience trials and suffering. Lord, all of us will suffer. No one is immune to that. We, no one gets a free pass in this. And so, God, would we, as we come to this this morning, Lord, would you just encourage our hearts where we're weak? Father, would you help us to not be a double-minded man who is unstable in all their ways? We ask this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, like that's the first thing that we read this morning in our text. But if you look just a little bit further back in verse 4, you might ask the question, are verse 4 and verse 5 connected? 
Is this a disconnected train of thought that James is just immediately jumping to? There are some people that will say James is just like Proverbs. If you've read the book of Proverbs, if you start to read it through, you kind of go, oh my goodness, we're jumping all over the place here. Where are we at? And some would say maybe James is like that. I would argue with you this is absolutely connected together. Verse 4 and verse 5 are one train of thought. James is not bouncing around just like Proverbs. No, James is actually connecting for you and me right away God's will for us. God's will for us amid trials and suffering is to become perfect, complete, lacking nothing, meaning that our character would be whole. And so he says, if anyone lacks wisdom... What does that mean? Does that mean we might not need it? That's an easy way to translate that sometimes when you read that really quick. If any, well, that means maybe if I lack it. That's not what James is saying. It's it's more when you lack wisdom. We all lack wisdom. We are going to need wisdom. But what is this wisdom that James is talking about? Wisdom is a really big term that the Bible uses, lots of different realities about wisdom. And in this specific context, what I want us to focus in on is wisdom here means this, being able to know that the trials that you are going through are being used by God to bring you to greater maturity, to trust him. That's what James means by wisdom, the Greek word Sophia here. Let me say that again. Wisdom here means being able to know that the trials you are going through, verse 2 through 4, that's what he's talking about, that wisdom is knowing that in those trials that you're going through, that those are being used by God to bring you to greater maturity in Christ. Deeper trust. James said, count it all joy. When you meet trials of various kinds, y'all were not geared naturally to have that disposition. I don't know anyone, don't know anyone, I asked this last time when we were going through this, who here is like, trial comes, joy, that's the first thing I think of. Anyone want to raise their hand? James' point here is trying to tell you and me that this joy in the midst of trials is a gift of God. We can't manufacture that. That doesn't naturally come from within to view difficulties, sufferings, trials of various kinds as joy. He's saying that is a gift of God that you give thanks for. That's what the wisdom of God provides for you and for me, to be able to see that, to experience that. Another really important point is wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. You can have all the knowledge in the world and not be wise. If you flip through your phone right now, whatever place you find your news or updates on what's going on in the world, you will find there is a lot of smart fools. Wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. Listen to what Proverbs 4, 7 says. And if you remember, James is like the New Testament Proverbs in a lot of ways. So when you see this on the screen, Proverbs 4, 7, you'll go, oh, I see where James is coming from. Listen to what Proverbs 4, 7 says. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this. 
Get it. Get wisdom. Whatever it takes, get insight. Think about our text this morning. How on earth can we possibly count it all joy when we meet trials of any kind if we don't have wisdom or insight from who? God himself. James, the scriptures are so clear to us on these things. That's James' point. Get wisdom. Get it, all right? And remember, James' audience, the people that he's writing to in this time, right? If you remember, these are exiles. These are people who once were a part of the, 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 the Jews, Jewish community in Jerusalem, and now they've been dispersed all over. And they're going through persecution because of their new faith in Jesus. They've left their tradition of following the Torah and all those things. And then they've moved into now following this risen Savior, Jesus. And their, their life is not easy. Everything has changed for them. And this is what James is writing to them. So just remember that as we're thinking about getting wisdom and doing that first and considering it joy. He is writing to people who are in the midst of going, my life is upside down. And who in here can relate to that? Your life feels turned upside down, that the rug is just ripped right out from underneath you with that phone call, that email, or that friend who shares some information. Who here can relate to what it feels like to go through something really, really difficult in their life? Wisdom is needed to endure our trials and to trust God. And so just like the believers that James is writing to, you and me today, right here in this room this morning, we are under the same threat that James is seeking to encourage and protect those people from. What is that threat? Suffering and trials can cause shipwrecks of faith. What are we talking about very beginning how many in this room know people who've come up against complex, dirty things with their theology and have gone, uh-uh, I'm out. I don't believe that. I certainly don't believe what his word says about that. I'm looking for something else. James is writing to people just like that. And you and I, I think, can relate to that. Where's that place where you've been tempted not to trust God and his word and to go, no, I don't buy it. And you may not you may be here right now going, I don't buy it now. What do you mean cancer's good, Evan? And actually, you're not even talking to me. You're talking to God. What do you mean? And James is writing to all of us in those places to say, if you lack wisdom, ask. I was thinking about, like, what does this feel like for us? Have you ever been driving on the interstate? Like 65, 75, of course, obeying the speed limit, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, you guys too. Okay. You're driving, right? And you're just cruising. And if you're like me, you're not always paying attention to what's happening. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in the middle of a deluge and it's just pouring down rain. You've gone from 75 miles an hour on the highway and it's just pouring rain and you cannot see. The windshield wipers are going as fast as they can go and you still cannot see anything. Anybody know what that's like? What happens? All of a sudden, you feel out of control. Like, I can't see in front of me. The raining so hard, I have no idea what's in front of me. I have no idea what's happening behind me. I might not even know what's going on beside me. 
We feel out of control. I think that's exactly what it means in these trials of various kinds. That's what happens. That's what it's feeling like. And so James is pressing, ask for Does anyone wish, wish verse five? I don't know if, uh, Mike, you can even pull back up the, the first verse here. Does anybody wish that verse five said this? Um, Mike, it'd be the very first one. I'm sorry, I didn't ask you to do this. But uh, does anybody ever wish the verse, if we can get it up there, would say, hey, if you lack wisdom, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God, and he'll delete it. He'll remove it. And it will be given to you. I read that and I go, well, I don't want wisdom. I want you to get it away from me. I don't want to be in this anymore. So I don't want wisdom. I want you just to remove me from this situation. But thank you, Mike. But our trials require us to ask God for help. They require us to see what God sees, that our trials are meaningful rather than what we're tempted to believe is a meaningless. Our trials require us to ask for help. So the first point we get from our text this morning is that God's wisdom is something we'll lack, but God promises to give it. Notice that God promises to give wisdom. The second thing we see from our text is that in order to receive God's wisdom in trials, we need to do something. We need to ask him Sometimes I think we can expect in our faith sometimes, it's a lot like our iPhones or what other other phones you have, that it's like an automatic update that will just happen automatically, right? You have that setting, it's like, you show up, up, great, it's all reloaded, don't need to do anything. And sometimes in our faith, I think we can act like that too. Look at God, you'll just do everything for me, right? Because there's a category in scripture where it says Jesus is always interceding on our behalf, but we need to pay attention to this context, a specific context that James is writing. He's saying, no, 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 that is true. Jesus is always interceding on our behalf. But here, right here, what he has for you, for this gift to be made true in your life, you have to ask him. This won't be an automatic download. And James is going to point to a very specific reason why that is true. It's simple. God wants us to know how much we need him. What would an automatic download of faith and wisdom do? Would it necessarily cause us to need God anymore? Or would we just kind of go along our day like I do with my phone? Great. I don't even think about that anymore because great. Automatic upload. Thank you. No, no, no. Pray. Ask God. Where are we turning to for help? I want to make a quick point here. James says God will give us wisdom, but notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't give us answers. doesn't say he'll give you answers. <laughs> I don't like that. I know in my hard places, I want answers. Why? Maybe you're like me. We get an example of this in the scriptures too, that we're not alone in that. If you are familiar with the book of Job, it's my favorite book and it's my least favorite book all at the same time. 
I'm not going to go into the whole thing of Job, but something terrible happens to Job. He loses everything. And Job, like you and me, starts to ask immediately to God, why, God? Why did this happen? What is Job looking for? He's looking for answers. What am I looking for in those various trials? I'm looking for answers. I want answers. And you know the story if you're familiar with it. But there's like a ton of pages after Job asks that question, essentially asking, why God? God turns around. He never answers. He never gives him the answer. He responds with a question. And his question is essentially, who am I? Anybody still feeling comfortable with that rationale here? Why did I lose everything? And God goes, who am I? Maybe that feels unloving a little bit, maybe. I'm not sure. (laughs) But what is interesting is I think Job, James is picking up in exactly what Job is saying in the next part of our verses. He's saying, you got to know something about God. You got to know who God is for any of this to make any sense. And that's exactly what happens. And the third thing we see in our text is that James moves and he shows us three things about the character of God, who God is, which in fact is the most loving thing he could possibly do for us is to reveal himself to us in the midst of these trials. So we find three things about God and his character in the midst of our trials. The first thing we see is he's a giver. That's so important for us to see. Wisdom comes from God. He gives. I'm a, I'm a giving God is what he says. The second thing we see is that he's generous. I like the rendering of this way. Instead of just generous, he gives without reservation. If you ask him, he will give it. He won't think twice about should I or should I not give you wisdom. He will give it. That's what the Greek word says. Without reservation, he will give generously. Without reservation to those who need his wisdom. He's not stingy. He's not frugal, you guys. Think about that. Job is starting to understand, just like we are when we ask the question, why? And God's going, who am I? Fix your eyes on me, not on your situation right now. You need to know me. God is so kind to say, I will give you myself. I will give you my wisdom. He's sincere. He's wholehearted. The third thing we see about his character is he's not condescending. That's what it means by without reproach. He's not a jerk. How many people can be given things, but it be done in a way that's really, really not that great to receive something from? Oh, you again. Fine, fine. Here. All right, leave me alone. My kids might be. Dad, that sounds a lot like you sometimes. Again, you're coming to me. You're asking me for wisdom. Fine, fine. Or or, or maybe this one. Man, didn't I give that to you before? What about that other time, too? James says, God is not condescending. There's no shame in coming to God and asking him for his wisdom. That is so important. 
for us to see God's character is so vitally important to know of why we come and ask. We'll look at verses six through eight together. James tells us what asking God in faith should be like. He tells us that we need it. He tells us where it comes from. Now he tells us how. How do we do this? He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all, on all his ways. Verses 6 are showing us from James. The way to do this is to know that our heart position towards God matters. Our attitude towards God matters. James presents a contrast between faith and doubt. Here's what James is getting at. Faith equals confidence in God. Complete trust and confidence in him. Whereas doubt, James says, is this division within the heart. I really like the rendering in the Greek where it says to be at odds with oneself internally, like deep, deep down. And I want us to see a glimpse of what this kind of a heart looks like. And if you look at 1 Kings 18.21, it'll be on the screen, you'll get a sense of what this means to be at odds with oneself in the way that God will not answer this prayer. It's on the screen. And Elijah came near to all the people, and this is when he's getting ready to just show up all of the prophets of Baal. This is what's going on. Elijah came near to all the people and he said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Pretty simple. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. That, my friends, is an example of a heart that's conflicted. James is asking us, if you're going to come to God, does your heart waver? Are you unstable in all of your ways? Now, this is important because what he's not saying is that that we can't have honest doubts. That is not at all what he's saying. The book of Psalms shows us over and over again doubts that are right and good, that embolden our faith because they are still united to Christ and trust in him. That is not the same thing that James is getting at here. This is a root-level distrust all the way down at the bottom. James is pressing for a heart-level response and asking God for wisdom. And he says, like the waves of the sea. My guess is that James is very, very, very familiar with the sea, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, being able to see out in Galilee. I bet as he's writing that, he's thinking of that. Just like the waves of the sea, is your heart at one part when the waves are high? Yes, yes, I trust in God. But then when they die back down, he's like, no, 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 I don't trust in God now. Tossed to and from like the waves. That kind of person should not expect anything from God in this case. Instead, the faithful prayer, and if we look at Psalm 119 too, The faithful prayer that James is pressing to us is evidence like this. And it says this, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek God with their what? Their whole heart, not a divided one. Paul makes the same point in Romans 4.20. You'll see that on the screen as well. And he references Abraham in the Old Testament. He says, No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith 
as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. What do we see here? Abraham's response to trial was to trust. He did not waver. I was talking with a woman this week and kind of thinking through like, what? okay, so how does this work in real life? And this woman was sharing with me a lot about her life and has shared for a long time and she's been in deep, deep depression and anxiety and just been racked with physical struggles with that. And so we were catching up this week and was asking how are things going and kind of got the same, I don't know, not that great, kind of the same way it's been for about 10 years. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, oh man, God, what am I, what am I supposed to supposed to say and she continues to talk through and she's just like I'm so tired Evan I'm so so tired and I was confronted personally in my own heart as I've been studying this to go God is this the time to bring in your word to this sister (laughs) Um, or is this going to be a is this not wise? And I was praying for wisdom upon wisdom here. And this person was just like, essentially, they're like, I just, I just want to give up. I'm just, I just don't think I believe God anymore. And again, I was like, ah. and I shared with this person. I said, hey, I'm studying for a sermon this week and love to share this with you. I shared it. You know what that person's response was? Anyway, back to the, Issue at hand. That's exactly what happened. I was just thinking, okay, God, like that didn't go great. Um, and you know, one of the things that Alan has shared before on this stage too, and, and, and I, I feel the same way, is one of the most incredible gifts is being able to be a pastor is to be involved with your lives in really deep ways, just like this sister was sharing with me. And as I'm reading this text, what I'm realizing, even in this and this desire to be caring, I wanted answers for this person. I saw this person with tears in their eyes sharing just how tired they are with life and the trials that have been seemingly going on for a decade with no relief. And this sister's just going, I just don't think I believe God, if I'm being honest. I said, I think God's okay with that. I think God is fine with your honesty. My question is, what are you gonna do in that place? And so went back to this person was sharing, I believe all these bad things about myself. I was trying to think, God, you're saying she needs to ask you for wisdom. What are you trying to show her here, God? And I simply just said, man, you just shared a lot of things about what others say about you. I'm curious. (laughs) Would you write down what God says is true about you? And literally, no joke, this person like had a visceral reaction. It was like, no, no. And I thought, oh, oh, wow. James is pressing, and I thought, oh, God, would you give this person humility? Would you give this person the wisdom to see they don't even want to, they'll say what they think you think, but they don't want to actually hear what you think right now. 
And I started thinking, isn't that similar in our trials? That Do we want to really hear what God has to say? Do we want to really know who he is? And I think what he's saying is to this sister, he's like, I want you to know me, but you're so focused on what is the answer. Just get me out of this at any cost, almost to the cost of this person saying, I don't know if I believe anymore because this person is essentially going, I just want the answer. And we come back to God and have to go, are you trustworthy? Our text today is in many ways like a conversation in between two people. Greg, so I want to invite you in to a conversation. And this conversation is between me and God. And it was in the midst of a really hard time in my life, in my family's life. And I was thinking back upon it of like, God, what do I imagine that conversation was like when we were on rock bottom? God, my baby boy was just diagnosed with a serious heart condition and he has to have emergency surgery. I'm so scared. I just want him to be okay. Is he going to be okay? What the heck is going on? Evan, do you remember when my friend Lazarus died? It was so painful. I remember tears like yours, son. And I know how hard this is for you and Stacy and your family and your friends and all those who love you and your baby boy. I love you. And I love him even more than you can know right now, Evan. And I long for you to know something about me right now. Who I am. Evan, in my word, I tell you that I am a generous giver. You don't have to feel shame in coming to me right now and crying to me for help. I know you don't know what I'm doing right now, and that's okay. (laughs) What are Stacy and I supposed to do, God? Our hearts are ripped to shreds right now. We're in this hospital and people are coming in and out and it's just blur right now, God. We're so tired. We're so daggone scared. And we're so confused. God, what are you doing? We're trying to do good things for you right now in the midst of our life. There's so much that we've sensed you calling us to do and now everything feels like it's been turned upside down. Ah, son, you long to know what will happen with your son. That is what you want the most right now, isn't it, Evan? Evan, what you need more than an answer is me and my wisdom, and I want you to ask me for it. Keep keep asking me for it. I'll give it to you. 
I don't understand, God. I appreciate the offer of wisdom. I really, really do. Thank you for that. I believe even what you say in James. I get it. Okay, but, but I really do want an answer. What the heck is happening to our son? Is he going to make it? Are you good? I want you to fix it. God, you promised that you're a healer. Would you please fix it? Please fix it. Evan, do you remember how many times you've confessed your sin to me over the years? Do you remember how many hard things you've walked through and those things have seemingly resolved in ways that turned out okay? I do. I remember. Do you remember, son, what you normally do after I forgive you or after a hard situation resolves. I think I see where you're going, God. <laughs> um, I, I, I remember that I, well, I, I certainly remember that I'm much happier, and, well, I guess I realized, oh, oh, <laughs> I kind of don't need you that much anymore. Yeah, oh, gosh. Evan, I want all my children to grow in their love for me. I'm what is best. I know that it's really hard to understand that fully in your life there on earth right now, but remember you're on a journey. And if I gave you all of the answers, you would be just like Adam and Eve in the garden. When I told them, don't eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. They did, and they got answers. They knew now. But they didn't have me anymore. They didn't want me anymore. And neither will you, Evan, if I just give you the answer right now. You don't really need answers, son. You need me. This journey that you and Stacy are on is exactly how I designed it, Evan, to help you grow in maturity. I'm always with you, son, and I want you to always remember that. So when it's hard like it is right now as you're sitting in the hospital room and, and for you and Stacy and the tears that you have, I see them. I see them. Ask me for help. Keep asking me with others for my wisdom. I will give it to you. I'm growing something in you right now that you can't see yet, Evan. And you and Stacy and your family and your friends, you too will see and grow and learn in this trial. That you can trust me more than you did before. All right, God, well, here I am. Mike has gone to surgery now, and I'm, I'm asking you for help. God, please, 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 please save our boy. Keep him safe. Make him be okay. Please, please, please help us to trust you. Evan, I'm with you.
We're years removed from that hospital room where we prayed that very last simple prayer together, Stacy and I, with tears, having no idea what was going to happen. Please help us to trust you. Basically, please give us wisdom, God. And to this day, we still don't know why God chose to have our family go through that season. One that we don't know if it's actually over with entirely either. But what I do know is God did grow our trust in him more. Eleven years later, what we do know is God has been faithful and that we trust him more than we did before that season of trial. Both Stacy and I have seen that season be able to actually prepare us for other seasons that we had walked through that were going to be very, very difficult as well. And while we both still struggle with all of the trials that James lays out for us, the one thing that we've seen is that the promise of God to provide what we need in his wisdom is true. And that becomes a source of deep encouragement and deep hope for the subsequent trials that we know are inevitably going to come our way as well. I want to close our time here. But as, as I do that, what Stacey and I realized was we were really thankful that our shoes, our faith, could get dirty. It got really scuffed up. But that was God's plan. That is God's plan. He's working in us trials so that we would trust him more. I'm going to ask you three questions that I just want to spend a little bit of time reflecting on together. The band can come on up. Grace Hill, what trial are you going through today? Just think for a few moments. What are you going through? Remember, James doesn't qualify that it has to be this big or that small to equal a trial. It's various kinds. What are you going through? I asked you at the very beginning, what's the first question that you ask when you're in the midst of a hard time? And so here's that second question. What's that first question? What do you naturally go to? And finally, as we just spend a few moments together, it's the simple question. Whatever you're going through, whatever the first question might be in your head and heart, will you ask God for wisdom? Will you ask him? Will you ask him now? I want to leave a line on the screen behind me. This is the whole point of James 5 through 8 today. Trusting in God means asking him for his wisdom. 
Would you ask him for it?